So friends, it's uh, been a real delight for me to be able to connect with some of the community today and begin to get a sense of the, the depth and the diversity of the practice in our Sangha. And it struck me as I was reflecting on this that in the diversity of our practice we're still all moving in the same direction. In this direction towards liberation of the heart and the mind. This understanding in our Buddhist practice of this liberation from clinging that can open the way for deep peace and deep happiness. This clinging that has the two sides of grasping for what we don't have, aversion to what we do have. These two sides that put our happiness potential over there. And help us lose sight of happiness and deep peace potential here in this moment. And so just, of course, as the way we're all leaning in this direction, all of our practices are doorways into this liberation. Of course, the Buddha lived in complete and full awakening. He lived in this deep happiness, this deep peace. And what I find really inspirational and motivational is that we also taste, can taste, and do taste this deep peace, this non-clinging, this letting go. And I'm sure that that's what's brought us all here. That we've tasted this and we know it. What's also helpful for me is to begin to know where to look for it. How to support the conditions for it. To rise, to be known how to really know it, and how to sustain it. And so this is what I thought I would talk about tonight. These four aspects of our collective practice. And to begin to know this temporary awakening, this taste of liberation, I want to bring in one of my heart teachers, Ajahn Buddha Dasa. And I practice with Guy Armstrong, who practiced with Ajahn Buddha Dasa, great Thai forest master. And his teaching just really speaks to me. And he speaks about this taste 
of Nibbana that we can all have. He's written an essay called Nibbana for Everyone. And he says, this word Nibbana means coolness. And we'll all have our own flavor. We'll all have our own way of understanding and knowing this peace, this happiness. He says the word Nibbana means coolness. Back when it was just an ordinary word that people used in their homes, it also meant coolness. When it was used as Dhamma language, when it is used as Dhamma language in a religious context, it still means coolness, but refers to the cooling or the going out of fires of reactive emotions. Although it may be a temporary quenching, merely a temporary coolness, it still means Nibbana even if only temporarily. That to me is really inspiring. That this is possible for us. And in terms of where to look for it, I want to offer tonight a sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, which offers a number of doorways, four major doorways of places we can look for this peace, for this non-clinging, for this, a doorway into this temporary Nibbana. And so I am going to offer it tonight, hoping that, knowing it won't, and not everything will resonate for everyone, but hoping that there will be something in this sutta that will speak to each of us in, in your own practice, knowing that there's such a, di- a wonderful diversity of practice here. And so I want to read from the Satipatthana Sutta. Sati, mindfulness, Patana establishments or foundations of mindfulness. One of the most concrete suttas we have for instruction. And this is Bhikkhu Nanamoli and Bhikkhu Bodhi's translation. This is a part of the, the sutta. Practitioners, this is the direct path for the purification of beings for the surmounting of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of pain and grief, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four foundations of mindfulness. What are the four? Here, practitioners, a practitioner abides, contemplating the body, feeling tones, the mind, and mind objects. And so these four areas in our experience are where we can look to for a doorway into non-clinging. And so the first, the body, the foundation of the body. When we settle, many of us are using or we settle into an anchor practice, whether we're practicing with metta 
or the breath or the body, vipassana, insight, concentration. We settle with an anchor. And this is one of the places for me that I sense a tiny taste of this coolness. It's when I first come to sit. It's when I first come and turn the attention to the body. Let's do it right now. Just let go of my words. Turn your attention to the body. Just in the first small moment there, for me, over time, there has come to be known a tiny release. Just in the turning to the anchor. And so if, if I'd be curious just to, to, to sense, for me, it's just a little relief. It's just a little turning to simplicity. A little letting go of whatever was going on before. And it's very easy, it it may not resonate for you, but it may be a place that's there but not looked for, and so not seen. And so, check it out over the practice time when you just first sit, oh yeah, okay, just this body, just this breath. A tiny cooling. And then throughout the meditation, throughout our practice in all postures, or I'll say in meditation, very often I find when I'm in meditation, the mind will think, and then it'll come back, And then I'll notice, oh, there's some tightness in the body. So the body, at that moment, we can notice, oh, there's some clinging here, there's some striving here, there's some tightness here. That, for me, is another doorway. It's another practice, inquiry. Is there tightness here or is there ease here? And there's often... I find often an automatic, kind of automatic tightness. And in that moment, if you can just notice without judgment, oh, we can notice what happens then when we notice if there's tightness. With our wise mindfulness, what happens in that moment? Or if we check in and there is no clinging, what does that feel like? And I know if we went around the room, we could collect a list of words. And we would have our own poem. We'd have our clinging poem. We'd have our non-clinging poem of what these two feel like. And so this can be a a check-in with the body, no matter where we are, no matter what's happening. 
what is there tightness? Is there ease? That's my shorthand. You might have your own words or own way of checking in. And so I can tune in. I become more able to tune in. Is there clinging or is there non-clinging? And this can be a way of settling into the body and finding out what's, what's present. Is clinging here or not? And what does it feel like? And then as we practice those, that practice, that tuning in, that checking in, our body, of course, really becomes the barometer for whether we're gripped in clinging or whether we're resting in non-clinging. And so the body is so important. Just right now, check in and checking in. How is it for you now in the body? The second foundation of mindfulness is Vedana, or feeling tone. This is the mental aspect that accompanies every experience we have. Every experience we have is either um, experienced as either pleasant, unpleasant, or neither. And so, pleasant on one end of the spectrum, unpleasant on the other end of the spectrum, And in between, there's quite a vast area where it's not dramatically pleasant or dramatically unpleasant. And every aspect of our experience falls in here. And if we, of course, if we don't, if we aren't mindful of the Vedana, of course, then it's very easy for us to fall into or get pulled into, if if we have unpleasant Vedana, very easy to get pulled into aversion. If we have pleasant Vedana, very easy to get pulled into grasping if we're not aware. So this is another doorway, a huge doorway for us. I remember one time on retreat, I was on a retreat similar to this retreat. We were able to make our own schedule. We still had bells, but we could decide if we were going to sit or walk or so the bell rang and I stood up and then I thought, well, am I going to walk or not? Like, I can decide. And at that moment I didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know what would be best. I didn't know what, what I wanted to do. And fairly quickly a voice, the self-judgment voice rose. You know, Jeannie, this isn't rocket science. It's like, are you going to walk or sit? Like, it's not, you know? So there's like, wow! That's my, was my clue. Okay, there's some aversion going on here. And so then I could, so that's our doorway. So, and I could sit, but what is going on? Oh, there's aversion to uncertainty. Anybody... I know if I asked for a show of hands, we'd all (laughs) share this experience. Aversion to uncertainty. Oh, unpleasant. So I decided, 
I ask, can I sit with aversion to unpleasant without aversion? Yeah. Can I sit with it? This, this aspect of clinging, can I sit with it without clinging? Without aversion to the aversion? Can I sit with it with non-clinging? And so I sat down and I started to get curious about this unpleasant experience. Can we bring, can we sit with unpleasant as unpleasant? This is the invitation. And so I sat with the unpleasant, which had some aversion attached to it. So there's unpleasant and aversion, and I just said, oh yeah, and the aversion's a little unpleasant, and the uncertainty's a little unpleasant, and just sat with it, sat down, and started to get curious, and oh, it's kind of like jangly, and then I sat with it just for a little bit more, you know, 30 more seconds or so, and started to settle out, and then I started to feel, oh, this is kind of pleasant. (laughs) It's like sitting here with uncertainty, without trying to make it different, without aversion to it, it got pleasant. And I realized, it's uncertainty is, is pleasant if you're not trying to push yourself to be certain. And I sat there kind of reveling in, oh gosh, this is don't know. This is not knowing. And we know that these are touchstone experiences for us. When they're on retreat, they can seem small, but they're big. I've never forgotten that experience. And so you may have experiences like that, where you have an opportunity. There's a, some kind of struggle. The self-judgment voice rises. Grumpiness rises. Struggle rises. Oh, clue. Clinging. <laughs> and then invest in what's happening. And so I've never forgotten that. And so this is a dark. And then I sat there in non-clinging. Just knowing what that felt like. And I can still feel it. The other, another really tricky one, of course, with Vedana is pleasant experiences. And we just rush into grasping. And I received a wonderful teaching about this from a teacher named Michael Soborski. He said, when you go to the dining hall, just stop for a moment and see what's happening before you do anything, before you actually dish up your food. And see if there's any grasping there. And if there is, he said, just ride the grasping out. Just breathe with it for a little bit. And then, he said, and I'll never forget this, then eat as a free person. And I, in my mind, I reframe it a little tiny bit. Eat as a freer person. <laughs> because the grasping might still be there, but it's not going to drive you us unconsciously. 
It's much different to be able to know or feel into it with that non-clinging, non-grasping. So we're viewing the grasping without grasping. Oh, is there grasping here? Around this pleasant experience. And so the other day there were cookies. And I just noticed, ooh, (laughs) that's okay. And then I noticed, oh, like, you know, should I take one now in case there aren't any left? And I just wrote that. I just, oh, oh, and, and it kind of, you know, there's a wave of it. You ride it. And then there's a, like, a real sweet, can be a really sweet place where there's, it eases a little bit. That's our small taste of the coolness. So we don't want to miss that. And we're not trained to look for it. We want to look for those small moments of release. The third foundation of mindfulness is the mind. And I, I love this foundation, and I love the way it reads. Um, so I'm going to read a, a part of it. And this really builds on the foundation of Vedana. Each of these build on the other. It says, How practitioners does a practitioner abide contemplating mind as mind? Here a practitioner understands mind affected by grasping as mind affected by grasping and mind unaffected by grasping as mind unaffected by grasping. Uh, mind, they understand mind affected by aversion as mind affected by aversion and mind unaffected by aversion as mind unaffected by aversion. It goes on. But are you getting the picture? Like, so this third foundation of mindfulness is about our relationship to the clinging. And so the Buddha doesn't say here, the practitioner understands mind affected by grasping and then tries to change it. It doesn't say, the practitioner understands mind affected by aversion and then tries to get rid of it. The invitation is to know aversions in the mind without aversion, to know graspings in the mind without grasping. And this is tremendously freeing because then grasping and aversion and clinging can rise and we can just notice it. This is the foundation of the mind, the mind that knows. I find that very, very freeing. One time I was, I wanted to bring some retreat stories because we're on retreat and, and this is such a rich time. And so one time I was on retreat and I felt lonely. Actually, I was leaving retreat and I felt lonely for the community. And I was driving away and I felt discombobulated and, oh, I said to myself, this is loneliness. And it stayed, kind of stayed and stayed discombobulated feeling and I thought, Nothing kind of shifted or changed, and I just want. Am I am I seeing that clearly? I thought. I wondered. So I looked again, and I kind of looked under the loneliness. What's under there? 
the good question is, is there aversion or is there clinging? Whenever there's kind of a discombobulation or a struggle with anything, we want to look underneath and see, is there any aversion or grasping underneath the state? Because the state, loneliness, is kind of like a big helium balloon. It's kind of, and right in my, right in your face, like loneliness right there, and that's all we can see. But if we haven't got the right, if we're not seeing clearly that aversion might be underneath, that's like the string that holds the balloon in place, holds the balloon right there. And if we can look underneath and see is there aversion or grasping, it can sometimes be like cutting the string of the balloon. And this is what happened for me. I looked under and thought, oh, it's aversion to loneliness that's happening here. It's aversion that's discombobulating me. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel loneliness. And once I saw that, it released. So sometimes wise mindfulness can release if we see the aversion and the grasping clearly. And then once it released, the aversion disappeared. Loneliness was no problem. And I saw all the love, I felt all the love I had for the retreatants. And so we want to look directly in the mind. Is there aversion or grasping? And then if there's aversion, just know it. No judgment. See what happens. Sometimes it shifts, sometimes it releases, sometimes it doesn't. If it doesn't, then we can just wrap it up with non-clinging. We can wrap it up with, without, without aversion to it. I call it porcupine peace. It's like wrapping a porcupine, a prickly porcupine, in a blanket of non-aversion, of non-clinging. And then we can actually hold it. We can actually hold it. <laughs> and there's peace in that. So then we want to look for the non-clinging, we want to look for the release in the porcupine piece. The release that's there, even though that aversion or that prickly state is still here, wrapping it in non-clinging. And then we want to train ourselves in looking for that tiny release that can help us hold this Prickly state, with a little more space. Yeah, just a tiny bit more space. That's a little taste of release, of clinging. So it's a wonderful thing that aversion and grasping don't need to go away for us to feel the peace of non-clinging. So this is a doorway in the mind. How we, how we are can be aware of what's here. And then the last, oh, I want to read a poem here. Yeah, I really like this poem. It helps me to shift from feeling like grasping and aversion are such problems. To finding the way to peace in the midst of it. This is by Rosemary Watola Tromer, and it's called, Oh, the Longing. Let longing be longing, though it rises in me with insistent hunger. 
though it clutches from my heart with outstretched hands, pins me with pleading eyes. Let longing be longing. Never has it worked to pretend I don't hear it as it shouts its demands or charms me with silken promises. In a vision, I said no to the longing. We could say grasping. And the longing only grew like a shadow on the wall. But when I said, yes, longing, I see you. And what was it that was saying yes? A voice, not me, but through me. The yes filled me like a warm and golden glow, color of sunrise, color of pollen, and there was nothing it could not touch. This woman, this longing, the shadow itself. Where does this yes come from? I don't know. But now everything is infused with its light, and the longing is longing, and I am a woman who sometimes longs for what she cannot have. Even the no is shining. And so the fourth foundation of mindfulness uh, in Pali is dhammas, translated as mental objects. Or Gil Franzdahl thinks, uh, translates it as mental processes. I like to think of it as processes of liberation. The fourth foundation has got five processes of liberation in it. And I'm going to talk about the last one the last process of liberation, because it, they all deal with clinging, but this one very directly. This is the Four Noble Truths. This is the last teaching in the fourth foundation. And the Four Noble Truths, the first truth is that there is clinging, and this, this compounds the pain of daily life, the clinging uh, brings suffering. So there is pain in life, when we cling, then this creates deep suffering. The second noble truth is that we can abandon that suffering. Or, I'm sorry, abandon the clinging. When we can abandon the clinging, the third noble truth comes, and that's that we know the release of the clinging. And the fourth noble truth is how we expand this understanding, how we sustain it more and more through practices. Basically, all of our practices fit into this fourth noble truth. Traditionally, the Eightfold Path is the fourth noble truth, but that covers all of our practices. And so all of our practices support our capacity to work with this process of one through three knowing clinging, the abandonment of it, and the release. So I have a couple of memories from retreat again. One time I was working with concentration. I often like concentration and insight. I often work in a combination with them. 
both kind of similar wings of the same practice, but this one retreat I was really deepening into concentration, and and I found myself getting grumpy. (laughs) I'm sure you've had that experience. Grumpy. And the, the, the concentration was slipping, and I didn't want... I didn't realize that I was clinging. That, and this often happens, right? We just get grumpy, but we don't realize why. It took me about, about 24 hours. And then I read something that, from Ajahn Sumedho. He said, You're, the concentration will slide. It will. It will wax and wane. The mindfulness doesn't need to. Mindfulness you can always have with you. The concentration will come and go. And I had not realized how much I was judging myself for the concentration sliding, kind of waning. And as soon as I realized it, as soon as I let go of the clinging, the the aversion, the self-judgment towards myself, then immediately I was back in samadhi. It was so clear that it was the clinging that was discombobulating me. And the release of it, and the releasing of the expectation that my concentration never wane, release that clinging, then I fell back in. So in our samadhi practice, it's very helpful to just keep a little eye on, on, um, on whether we're clinging or not. And if we're in samadhi and we're not clinging, then we want to know it. That's as important. Often we can go along in samadhi, but not really, really know, oh, this is peaceful. This is peaceful. So really knowing it is important. And so, Another time I was on retreat uh, in, uh, and I was in the dining hall and I would get my meal and my cup of tea and I'd go sit down and I would really enjoy a hot cup of tea. Midway through my meal, my tea would cool down. Now I could have actually enjoyed the nibbanaing of that cup of tea cooling down. That's one of the places Ajahn Buddha Dasa invites us to look. But me, I like hot tea. I would jump up in the middle of my meal while I, I would slowly rise. <laughs> I would go and get some more hot tea, come back. But I started to notice at the end of my meals, I was always a little bit unsettled. And as I realized, I was clinging to the tea, of course. And so I let go of the tea in the middle of the meal. And I I still remember that, how sweet that meal was. I had lukewarm tea, and I had not clinging. And that was really sweet. So we can ask ourselves, where are we clinging? And that can help us find the doorway. And so I want to offer, maybe I'll read another poem here, a poem that I I like a lot. It just says, you know, it's a poem that brings a little bit of a lightness of touch for me, a little bit. It's called Let Go of Something.
by Donna Falls. And I, I love it. Just the title, I could read it. Just let go of something, like anything. <laughs> anything. <laughs> and notice what happens. She doesn't treat it with quite that levity, but that's what I hear when I read this title. But it is true. If we let go of anything, we renounce anything, renounce the clinging, then we want to notice. So here she, here she is. Let go of something, somewhere. Use yoga to become aware, to touch what lies beneath the surface of the skin. It, is there tension, longing for a release? A knot of fear so deep and familiar that you believe it's part of who you are? Ease into dark corners, locked rooms, unexplored hallways. Gain entry, not by force or will, but only by softness. Enter on the wings of breath. Enter in the key of self-acceptance to let go of something, somewhere. expectations on ourselves. And so I'd like to offer an acronym to help us with this process, this liberation process. And the acronym is CARE, C-A-R-E. And so the C is, and this corresponds with the Four Noble Truths. So the C, the first one is looking for clinging. Is there clinging? If there is, the A is, can I abandon it in any way? Even if it means the porcupine piece. Even if it means it's not going to release, but I can hold it with non-clinging. The R is, can I know the release? Know it. Realize it. Feel it in the body, mind, heart. This is where I think we often skip over. Myself, I work a lot with clinging. I, it's, you know, I can feel it a lot. And then abandon, I try to abandon. But I often forget to really realize it when I have abandoned it or when it has let go. We really want to know what it feels like and And this is the third noble truth, to realize it, to realize the release. And then the fourth, the E in care, is expanded. And we can expand the experience we have of release by just hanging out with it for a couple breaths, knowing it in the body, in the mind and the heart. What does this non-clinging feel like? And so that's if we have a clinging. If we don't, if we, if we tune in, oh, is there clinging here and there is no clinging, then the A in that care is the absence of clinging. We don't need to abandon it. It's already abandoned. There is an absence of clinging. And this is as important to notice as it is to, to notice the clinging. So there's an absence. And then what does that feel like? The R. Really know that release. And there may be more times of release than we realize in our day, in our practice. 
Our minds are hardwired to notice the challenge, notice the clinging, notice the difficulty. We're hardwired that way. Biologically, we're hardwired to notice the difficulty because that's a survival strategy. And what we're doing is helping our, bra- our minds, our hearts, know the, the peace as well, know the absence of clinging. And then so if there's an absence, we realize it, we know it, we realize the release, and then expand it again by hanging out with a couple of breaths or longer. And so that's the Four Noble Truths in the acronym of CARE. And so I wanted to close again with Ajahn Buddha Dasa. And read the quote I began with and a little bit more of his article, of his essay. And so he says the word Nibbana means coolness. Back when it was just an ordinary word that people used in their homes, it also meant coolness. When it's used as as Dhamma language in a religious context, it still means coolness, but refers to the cooling or the going out of the fires of reactive emotions. And we can say the cooling or the going out of the fires of grasping or aversion, of clinging. And you'll have your own flavor or flavors. Although it may be a temporary quenching, merely a temporary coolness, it still means nibbana, even if only temporarily. Whenever you find coolness in your experience, mark that coolness firmly in your heart. Breathe and breathe in, breathe out and in. Breathing in is cool. Breathing out is cool. In, cool. Out, cool. Do this for a little while. And so this is Ajahn Buddha Dasa inviting us to know the release and expand the release by just being with it for a little while. This is an excellent lesson that will help you to become a lover of Nibbana more quickly. The instincts will develop in a way powerfully, powerfully in this way. And natural Nibbana, the unconscious, the quenching of defilements will occur more often and easily. This is the best way to help nature. And this is our nature. The best way to support it. And so I offer the CARE acronym if it's helpful for you just to tune in. Is there clinging? Can it be abandoned? Can I know the release? And can I hang out there? Can I expand it? Or if I tune in, is there clinging? No, there's an absence of it. Okay. 
I know that release and expand it for a couple breaths. And so Ajahn Buddhadasa in another part of this essay invites us to look for coolness in our everyday experience. He says we have it every day and if we didn't have it every day we'd go crazy. He says look for it in your tea as it's cooling down. And he has other examples. And so in your practice you might notice where is, is it for you? Is it in the tea as it's cooling down? Is it at the beginning of a meal when you notice? Take a moment and notice. Ride, the, ride any wave of, of leaning in. Is it the end of the meal when you're satisfied? At the end of a meal when you're full, there's a moment, sometimes, a moment of non-clinging because you've gotten your meal. And we think it's because we had a good meal, but it's actually because there's a moment of non-clinging there. So we want to know where to look for this peace. It's not in the good meal. It's in the non-clinging. We want to be able to see these moments more and more in whatever practice we're doing. Might be at the beginning of a sit when you just first sit. Might be as you're settling in to your concentration practice, enjoying the non-clinging in that. It might be as you lay down at night to go to sleep and you think, oh, finally. In that moment, there's a moment, there, could, there can be a moment of non-clinging at that moment. We just want to be, tune more and more into these small moments of freedom from clinging, of liberation in the heart. This peace that's here that we may not notice as much as we could. And this peace that as we notice it more and more can grow more and more deep. So let's just sit for a few minutes, a couple minutes, and then we'll chant.
just curious now. What's here now? Whatever practice you're in right now. For example, if you're with the breath. Is there non-clinging or clinging? Is there a small ease with the breath? With being able to rest back and just receive it? Knowing there's no need to strive and try hard. Just receiving. And in that receiving, in that letting go of striving, is there any small sense? of your flavor of release of ease small Breath rising by itself. No need to work hard. Can there be a small sense of release? Thank you, friends, for your practice.